You know, I always struggled reading Shakespeare in high school English. Anyone else struggle with Shakespeare? I mean, I tried. I really tried. I'd read a paragraph, but sometimes I literally didn't understand a word that I just read. Decline your head this kiss, if durst speak, which would stretch thy spirits up into the air. I don't know what that means. Like sometimes I'd literally have to go back and break it down word by word slowly or maybe even like look up the meaning of some of the words. You know, it's said that in Shakespeare's time, the average person had a working vocabulary of approximately 54,000 words, meaning they actually spoke like the characters in Shakespeare's plays. Okay, to put that into perspective for us, the working vocabulary of the average North American is about 3,000 words, and I suspect declining. We've gotten really lazy with our language over the years, and one of the things that we've done that they didn't do back then in Shakespeare's time is we misuse words. We overuse words, and in the process, we give the meaning that they weren't originally intended to have. And I think one of the words we often misuse is the word awesome. Right? We use the word awesome to describe just about anything, right? Like, did you see the game last night? Oh yeah, it was awesome. Have you ever tried a cheeseburger from there? No, I haven't. Oh, you should. They're awesome. What do you think of my new, my new shoes? Aren't these awesome? <laughs> If anything is even remotely good or, or, or praiseworthy, we, we call it awesome. But not everything is awesome. Okay, the dictionary defines the word awesome as extremely impressive or daunting, inspiring great admiration, apprehension, or even fear. And when we find the word awesome in the Bible, which we do, for example, in Psalm 68.35, Genesis 28.17, and Exodus 15.11, it actually carries the same weight. Okay, the words that the translators translated into awesome from the original language always convey an overwhelming sense of admiration and reverence. See, the truth is, a lot of things are okay. Some things are good, some things are maybe even great, but very few things are awesome. God is awesome. Okay, in fact, in terms of awesomeness, nothing even comes close to God. He's beyond impressive. He's past description. He's worthy of reverence. Okay, like we can know God. He's not an enigma. He's personal, but we can't know God fully. Right? His ways are unsearchable, the scriptures tell us. 
And just when we discover more of who God is, we, we just find out there's only more to discover. He's beyond us. He is awesome. That's not up for discussion. But here's something that is. Are we still in awe of God? Does he still leave us breathless, speechless, trembling at, at his power and overwhelmed by his love? You know, we're in a series here at Compass called Habitudes in which we're talking about habits and attitudes that lead to, to life change. To start us off, to begin, Andrew spoke about the importance of developing a, a rule of life in our lives, like intentionally developing habits and rituals to discover the, the life that God has for us and to bring us closer to Him. And we kicked off uh, looking at the habitude of, of Sabbath, of rest in our lives, and just how important Sabbath is in discovering the rich and rewarding life that God has for us. Well, this morning I want to talk about how developing habits and attitudes of awe and wonder for God can transform our lives. The author and pastor David Tripp, he said this, only when awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their proper place. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Only when awe of God rules your heart will you be able to keep the pleasures of the material world in their proper place. Meaning awe of God, it brings correct order to our lives. See, when our hearts are captured and captivated in awe and, and wonder for God, we'll, we'll, we'll pray with more faith. We will persevere through trials with more peace. And we'll actually share his love and his message with more passion when we see him for who he is. See, living with a healthy sense of jaw-dropping, speech-stopping, knees-trembling, heart-skipping love and admiration is crucial for experiencing the life that God has for us that is possible. But how often does that actually describe our spiritual lives? You know, I remember visiting my, my uncle in Vancouver a number of years ago. And he had like this amazing condo. It was incredible. It overlooked the harbor. And it faced the North Shore Mountains. And I remember for the first time walking out with my morning a coffee to his terrace and almost being like overwhelmed by the view. Like it looked like a, like a painting. <laughs> the breathtaking beauty of the snow-peaked colossal mountains in the distance, the pristine blue water of the Pacific with like these really impressive, massive like yachts and cruise ships. It was incredible. And I remember saying to him, whoa, man, like what's it like to wake up every morning and walk out to this? It must be just both the most incredible experience. To which he said to me, yeah, yeah, it, it was at first. But you know, after a while, you actually just kind of get used to it. You know, to, to be honest... 
I don't really notice it anymore. And I was like, are you kidding me? How can you not notice this? See, the view hadn't changed. The, the ocean was the same shade of, of blue. The mountains were just as picturesque. Everything was just as awesome. He had changed. He'd lost his sense of wonder. He had become familiar with unfamiliar things. And the same thing often happens with us concerning God. We get familiar with divine things, unfamiliar things. You know, we've just come out of the, the Christmas season, right? Where we once again contemplated the biblical story of the Messiah's arrival. Now, that is an awesome story, right? Filled with like miracles and intrigue, surprises, and drama, not to mention the most important event in human history, God came to earth. But as I found myself reading it again this year as per tradition, it's just it's kind of like reading the morning sports pages for me. I was like, oh yeah, I know this story, angels and shepherds and wise men, mangers. Like I'd become so familiar with it that it, I had lost my, my sense of wonder. The story hadn't changed. It was just as awesome as it, as it always had been, but I had changed, and I had to ask God to fill my heart with wonder again. See, we can begin to lose our sense of wonder and awe for God. That's the bad news, but here's the good news. We can get it back, and we can foster it and we can nurture it, and we can protect it. And today I, I want to briefly touch on three crucial practices or habitudes, if you will, that can help us maintain our, or maybe even discover, an awe for God. You know, and as we walk through this series, you're going to see some crossover Okay, many of the habitudes that we're focusing on, they actually bleed into other ones. There's this kind of beautiful connectivity in all of this. Awe and wonder. Habitudes that, that foster our, our, our awe for, for God. Number one, our awe of God increases as our focus on self decreases. Okay, our awe for God increases when our focus on self decreases. You know, the Bible speaks at length about the danger of, of pride. And one of the biggest dangers of pride is that it can steal our sense of awe for God. Pride is, is an enemy of awe. Hey, turn to Mark chapter 6 in your Bible. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Let me set it up a little bit. The first five chapters of the Gospel of Mark, they detail for us many of the miraculous works of Jesus Christ. Jesus had been healing sick people, delivering possessed people, teaching in a way that no man had ever taught before, and the people were in awe of him. And rightfully so. But then in Mark chapter 6, Jesus returns to his hometown. He goes to Nazareth. 
And chapter 1 tells us that the first thing that Jesus did as per his tradition on the Sabbath is he went to the synagogue to teach. Right, but now he was teaching his, his, his hometown, like his homies. These would have been people that Jesus knew and people that knew Jesus, or at least knew of Jesus. Jesus. Nazareth was a small community. And their first reaction to Jesus' teaching is awe and wonder. Look at verse 2. It tells us that many who heard him were amazed. But then the shift happens, right? Pride turns their awe into disbelief. At the end of verse 2, the crowd begins to say, where did this man get these things? Like implying that Jesus could not have come up with these teachings on, on his own. What's this wisdom that's been given to him? Like Jesus just couldn't be wise on his own, naturally wise. Hey, do you ever notice there's something about being familiar with somebody, the same group, the same community, the same workplace, maybe even the same church, that makes it difficult for us sometimes to praise someone who succeeds, right? We tend to criticize or try to belittle their achievements instead of celebrating them. Look at verse 3. It says, isn't this just the carpenter? You know, Mary's boy, the brother of James and, and Joseph, Judas and Simon. Hey, like his sisters are literally, they're, they're standing right here beside us. Like Jesus had been teaching and, and the, the teaching was amazing the people, but suddenly they're like, wait a minute. He's no better than us. It's, it, it's only Jesus. See, pride caused them to prefer that Jesus remain equally as low as them. Greatness was standing in their midst, but they, they missed it. They couldn't see greatness because they couldn't see past themselves. To the point that verse 5 tells us that Jesus could do no meaningful miracles there. There wasn't faith to see past pride. Pastor Jonathan Dodson, he says this about the relationship between pride and awe. He says, pride cannibalizes awe. When our thoughts drift to how we have been poorly treated, how we are right or deserving of more, or how we will never be good enough, our worship is devoured eaten up by the self. We remain under the umbrella of our own authority, recognizing no greater authority, and therefore, listen to this, enjoying no greater greatness. See, in contrast, Turner listened to Psalm 8, verses 3 and 4, and listen to how the psalmist's humility actually increases his sense of worship in awe. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? God, when I see your glory, who you are, who am I that you would even think about me? 
See, if pride cannibalizes awe, humility fertilizes awe. And this isn't about self-deprecation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. We are image bearers. The antidote of pride isn't to think less of ourselves. It's to think more of God. To marvel at his works. Instead of trying to rationalize them or, or belittle them like the crowd in Nazareth that day. And there are a lot of really practical ways that we can actually institute habitudes of humility into our lives and in doing so protect ourselves from awe-stealing pride. Let me just give, give a few habits that we can put into our lives, rhythms that we can dance to to stay humble. Number one, be quick to identify and repent of pride. Like when you recognize pride in your heart or in your life, just call it for what it is and, and repent of it. Create habits of repentance. Number two, acknowledge God in everything. Okay, when you accomplish something really cool, when you're blessed in some way, when you achieve something, simply acknowledge that it's, it's because of God. Right? Every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. Create habits of acknowledgement. Number three, thank God for everything. Okay, after you've acknowledged God in your life and what he's doing, express your gratitude to him. Thank you, God. Create habits of gratitude. Here's one. Don't get the last word. You know, so, so many times we feel the need to have the last word to win an argument or, or to stress our point of view? And what would it look like if we intentionally end, ended every conversation by giving the other person the last word or maybe even the first? Create habits of, of silence. That's a humble thing to do. Number five, celebrate. Don't criticize. Get back to the story of Jesus in Nazareth. What if we intentionally trained ourselves and made habits to celebrate one thing about everybody that we came into contact with that day rather than our first thought being a critical thought? What if we saw somebody and said, you know, I really see God in you this way. What if we thought about that and we celebrated something really great about somebody? Create habits of celebration. Number six, admit mistakes and don't be afraid to laugh at ourselves a little bit. Okay, like not in a self-deprecating way again, but it's a healthy thing to be able to laugh at ourselves, to not take our ourselves too seriously, to communicate that we're not perfect. Okay, we need to create habits of acknowledging our weaknesses as well as our strengths. And number seven, and perhaps the most powerful habitude that we can put into our lives to, to, to stay humble and to fight pride, go to the cross often. That's the real place of humility. 
isn't it? Like, how can we be proud there <laughs> when we see our sins pinning God to a tree? In the midst of our pride, Jesus humbly gives himself up for us. So read about the cross, think about the cross, sing songs about the cross, pray about the cross, worship at the cross, and kneel at the cross. Create habits of visiting Calvary in your heart. Okay, pride cannibalizes awe. Next, another way we, we can create habits and recover our sense of awe and wonder. Put ourselves in environments that produce awe. Okay, put ourselves in environments that produce awe. There are just certain places that inspire awe. You know, there were so many highlights I remember from our trip to Israel a few years back. Like there were plenty of awe-inspiring moments. If you've ever visited the Holy Land, you know that. You know what I'm talking about. But perhaps the one that left me the most speechless, it was when we took a boat ride out on the Sea of Galilee. I still vividly remember the, the moment like it was yesterday. We had a pretty hectic uh, schedule, a fairly hectic day up to that point. Lots of crowds, lots of rush, lots of information. We visited like these really impressive like churches and outstanding monuments. It was cool. But as we set off from the shore of the docks of Galilee that afternoon and we sailed out to the middle of the water, I remember... Like, just taking a moment of solitude. Like, just thinking, yeah, I just want to be alone for a minute. I mean, when am I coming back here? So I went and I found a, a quiet kind of corner, quiet spot at the edge of this rather large boat. And there's like, worship music playing in the background. I still recall the song and the verse that was playing. It was a, a familiar worship song, Oceans. You've possibly heard that. Before. It was verse 2. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. And as the words played over the speakers, I kind of leaned over the rail of the boat and I dragged my hand across the top of the waves of the Sea of Galilee, like the very waters that Jesus walked on. The very waves that he silenced. Peace. Be still. And in that moment, through that song, I just sensed that Jesus was offering himself to me in a new and, and deeper way. And I will tell you, if I would have had words in that moment, I don't think I could have gotten them out. I was, I was awestruck. Like, there are just places that help inspire awe. Did you know it's a fairly recent science, but over the past 15 years, psychologists have actually been studying the effects of awe on people. 
and how they can have a really positive effect on us as human beings. And what they found is this. Here's the consistent thing. Here's the key ingredient to producing awe. It's a sense of vastness. A feeling that you are experiencing something larger than yourself. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I was experiencing in that, in that moment. And it might not be a, a boat ride in Israel for you, but where are the places that leave you speechless with the glory of God, the vastness of God, the greatness of God? For you, it might, it might be like a cathedral, right? Taking in the beauty of the intricate architecture, the, the stories on the stained glass windows, sitting in like serene silence. Right? We, we, we can't visit one right now in a lockdown, but maybe you could take a virtual tour. I don't know. Or maybe like your cathedral is outside at night and the ceiling is the starry sky. You want to talk about vastness as you take in the vast expanse of the heavenlies, you're once again reminded of the power and the majesty of the one who put every star in place. Maybe for you it's through music where you sense the greatness of God like a great worship service of people passionately worshiping God in spirit and truth. Or maybe it's like a massive choir belting out glorious harmonies and praise to God. Maybe it's like a CD or, or a playlist of like ancient creeds set to like beautiful orchestral movements. Maybe it's a walk through the forest in spring. Mountains, oceans, nature. Maybe you experience the, the vastness and the greatness of God in, in a maternity ward where life starts or in a senior's home where, where life ends. Maybe it's in a, a great book about theology that helps explain the greatness of God, who He is. There are so many sacred places, spaces, environments that can help produce and foster a sense of awe of God in our hearts. You know, of, of course, the Bible is a place we can all go to capture a sense of awe. You know, just a few weeks ago, we're driving in the car, and I was talking to Deb, and I was once again in awe of God's Word. I was like, like, who could ever author a book whose message, whose illustrations could be understood and applied over thousands of years of human history across every culture, every tribe, every people group that ever existed? Only God could do that. Whoa. The way that God miraculously speaks through Scripture and we get this new, fresh perspective on a verse that maybe we've read a hundred times, but suddenly it's like, whoa! Like, that just happened today. God, how did you do this? See, my point is, by intentionally placing ourselves in awe-inspiring environments, we awaken a sense of wonder in our hearts. In John 4, 21 through 24, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman. Right? And he, he's telling them, woman, Jesus replied, believe me. Of course, at that time, the Jews gathered in Jerusalem to worship. Specific place. The Samaritans on a mountain. And Jesus said, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain 
or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is of the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit. And in truth, God's glory can't be confined. It can't be bordered. There are no borders to hold his magnificence. Heaven is his throne. The whole earth is his footstool. God's glory is everywhere. Sunrises and sunsets. A a child's beauty. Innocence. Their ability to learn. Wow. The lifelong commitment to marriage is seen in an elderly couple, still very much in love. Wow. The the world's limitless species of, of flowers. That's awesome. Beautiful artwork. I mean, his awe-inspiring beauty is all around us, so let's intentionally put ourselves in places where we can see it the most vividly. But that will, that will take something, which leads to kind of my final point. We have to slow down to fully experience wonder. We have to slow down to fully experience wonder. You see, so many of the most awe-inspiring, jaw-dropping, mind-blowing things are found in the most simple places, but we miss them all the time, right? Because we all suffer from this disease called hurry. Man, hurry steals the best from us. Like, think about what's best. We want, we all want a deep and meaningful relationship with God and other people, but hurry makes that impossible. We all want to be really great at our jobs, but hurry often makes us settle for mediocre or rushed results, right? We want to serve people. I think we all want to serve people who who need our help, but hurry won't let us. And we want to be left in awe and wonder of God, but hurry won't let us stop long enough to truly see the miracles that surround us. See, our souls weren't meant for hurry. And therefore, hurry makes us miss out on the life that we were meant to live. That's why last week, Andrew spoke about the importance of Sabbath and rest, stopping, I told you these habitudes would bleed into each other. One is connected to the next. Notice Psalm 46.10. It doesn't say, rush and see that I am God. Or hurry and see that I am God. Nah, it says be still. Be still and know that I am God. When you are still, you'll see my glory. See, we only truly see all the beauty that surrounds us when we're still. Rushed people seldomly experience awe. A rushed people 
seldom experience awe. And my guess is that for many of us who are feeling like we've lost that sense of wonder for God, this might be the reason. We just don't slow down long enough to be filled with wonder. Right, again, this, this past Christmas, obviously there were a lot of things that we could not do, right? But one of the things that we could do, and one of the things that kind of our family incorporated into our celebration, was we drove around our kind of region looking at Christmas lights. Right, we grabbed a hot chocolate and a coffee or whatever, and we said, let's go look at some lights. We, we can do that. And here's what happened. Whenever we reached like a really good display my family would always say the same thing. Dad, slow down. We can't appreciate them when you drive so fast. And so I'd slow down or, or maybe even stop. And we just experienced the lights in a new way. Like, Wow. We appreciated the little things in the, in the displays. Wow, that's pre pretty amazing how they did this or how they did that. Or how many lights do you think are actually on that tree? We just have to slow down or we will never recapture our sense of awe. But that will mean creating margins in our life. Time. And maybe that means like setting aside some time to slow down on your, from work on your lunch break instead of working through lunch, of actually stopping and like going for a walk or listening to some music. Maybe it means setting your alarm earlier in the morning and just not like rushing through that Bible time. But actually like slowing down and after you've read saying, okay, God, I'm just going to meditate on this. Please speak to me about what I'm reading. You know, one of the things that, that I've intentionally been doing in my morning kind of devo time, in my prayer time, is um, I get up early kind of before the house gets up. And I've, I've just been taking a posture of like kneeling as I pray. Simple thing. I get down by the couch. Sometimes the dog is with me, sometimes not. And for that kind of time before God, I just kind of kneel. And take a posture that like of, of humility and that like, yeah, you're God, so I'm just, I'm gonna kneel. It might mean taking maybe a quarterly sabbatical time as you plan out kind of your yearly schedule. Or maybe even a day where you like intentionally just stop and you put your phone away and you focus solely on the beauty of God, of divine things. Like I don't know. What slowing down for you looks like. I just know we have to do it. I know one of the good things I've heard about this COVID season that I've heard over and over from people is that this has forced me to slow down and appreciate the simple things in life again. Right? COVID has actually caused us to slow down and stop in some ways. And like our family's eating together again or we're we're going for walks or we're watching movies, whatever. I've heard that story over and over and amen to that. But what if COVID also forced us to slow down so we could appreciate some awesome things about God? Habitudes, 
Habits and attitudes that bring life change. There is no more important habit or attitude that we can foster or develop than a healthy reverence and awe of God. And so, so here's, here's my challenge this week. Let's humble ourselves. Let's actually practice the discipline of humility this week by repenting of pride when we see it, by seeing the best in other people. And let's, let's spend some time at the cross this week. Could we do that? And this week, let's put ourselves in environments that create awe. Like, I want you to think about what places create a sense of wonder in your heart with your personality, in your context. And I, I want you to spend some time there this week. And let's, let's slow down. Let's do that together. Let's look at our schedules for this upcoming week. And let's intentionally create some margin. Maybe that means canceling an appointment that's not crucial. Maybe it means skipping a TV show, PVR it, watch it later. Maybe it means getting up an hour earlier someday. But let's commit this week to stopping throughout the rhythm of our week to appreciate moments, to, to just be still, and to know that He is still God. He's still God. So to close, I, simply, I, I quote Francis Chan. Isn't it a comfort to worship a God we cannot exaggerate? Many things in this world are good. Some maybe even great. But nothing comes close to God. He is awesome. Hey, I'm going to pray, but before I do that, can we just be silent for a moment? Just for a moment. And let's consider, let's be still and know that he is God. Let's consider his greatness in silence just for a moment and then I'll pray. Almighty God of heaven and earth, not only do we bend our knee to you today, but we bow our hearts in wonder 
and in reverence because of who you are. God, help us to know you as you are. Awesome. Wondrous. Everlasting. Indescribable. Full of love and mercy. God, we could go on and on describing who you are, but we would run out of words. And we'd still fall short. Father, I pray that we would make it a habitude to make much of you. Restore and God increase our awe for you. Give us a a proper perspective of the things of this world that, that we have, that have won our affections. that have stolen our sense of awe, that have taken things out of proper alignment and bring things back into alignment for us, God. Restore and increase our awe for you that we would pray with great faith because we know who you are. That we would worship with great passion because we know what you're worthy of. And that we would share your love with great conviction to a world that so often settles for less than awesome. And I pray these things in the awesome name of Jesus. Amen.